0: Welcome to a special edition of Interludes. March is Women's History Month, and we're continuing the series, Telling Her Story in Motion. Myself, along with executive producer Michael Womble, will highlight women filmmakers who have and who are running the world, one frame at a time. I'm Val The Voice Johnson, and this is Interludes. Interludes, a pure Lighthouse production. This episode is brought to you by YourGalShall.com, the one-stop shop to teach the next generation of wealth, one day and one dollar at a time. And now, all the way live from the south side of Chicago, give it up for your host, Val the Voice Johnson.
1: Welcome to Interludes. We're going to do a little bit of a discussion. So as we continue through Women's History Month this March, we were highlighting various pioneers in fields. Last week, we looked at media. Uh, This week, we're looking specifically at movies and television in terms of media and the women who are behind the scenes and in charge of the projects. That's right, the women directors. In the long history of the Academy Awards, which will be coming up fairly soon, there have been a whopping drum roll, please. Two Two women who have been honored in that long history of directing films. It may seem like that's a lot if you forget that history because at least one of those two women was honored within the last two years. So, in fact, last year. Uh, Among the uh, wonderful offerings that you saw, in terms of films, was a film called Land. And Nomadland uh, earned its director, Chloe Zhao, earned that director an Academy Award for directing. Uh, previous to that, only one other woman had earned an Academy Award, meaning a Best Director win, and that person was Catherine Bigelow and she won for the Hurt Locker. In terms of what these women are are able to accomplish and do, and at least having their peers acknowledge them in the highest form of of their particular art, uh, we bring in, of course, our host, Val The Voice Johnson. And we're gonna talk about these two women as a way to talk about women in the directing chair. Val, what was it like for you as someone who, uh, in, in addition to putting together this wonderful uh, medium for us to communicate, who was also very interested in film, uh, what was it like for you to see uh, someone, this woman of color, win this honor, this Academy Award? What does it mean?
0: It meant representation matters. It's important. I honestly wanted Regina King to be nominated for One Night in Miami. However, the movie was nominated, but not her in directing. Yet, let's think about this. Chloe Zhao became the first woman of color to win Best Director. And honestly, it meant meant that the work that she did was being acknowledged by other peers in the directing space and that also she could be taken seriously in directing higher budgeted films. Uh, She was also a director that was tapped for doing The Eternals with Marvel and I know that was an expensive film to do. Many women directors have to, it's weird, prove themselves before they're entrusted uh, with a studio, with larger projects, and especially the ones that have budgets over a hundred million. Um, it, I don't know why, but it's just, for some reason, if, if, I don't know if the audience knows if the woman director has done the work, but it, it, it I don't know. What do you what do you say, Michael?
1: Well, I think it's interesting looking at at least these two uh, women and t- kind of contrasting uh, what they did and what they won for, what they're acknowledged for. Um, I, I kind of turn back to someone that pretty much you know anybody listening here is familiar with in terms of Academy Awards and honors, and, and that being Denzel Washington. I think that. The fact that he is an academy award winner says a lot now when you think about what he won an academy award for then it sort of exposes kind of what happens when we get into awards or you know what value we might or should place on them i mean he won an academy award after being you know uh excellent in both uh best actor and the best supporting actor category for turns in Glory for his work in Philadelphia for uh, his portrayal of Malcolm X in, in the title role of that film but he didn't win an Academy Award best actor for any of those things it was his portrayal as a police officer he won best actor in Training Day, which I don't even think Denzel Washington will tell you that that's neither his favorite film, nor I think it's something that he would want to be remembered for.
0: Well, I will say this, with the latest nomination for Denzel for Tragedy of Macbeth, he now becomes the most nominated Black actor in Oscars history, which is a huge feat but as we go back to women directing, let's let's talk about Zhao again.
1: Uh, so Zhao directed *Nomadland*, which starred Frances McDormand with, in the title title role. So you have this woman as your protagonist, as the main, the lead there, and in a role which would pass the Bechdel test, she is this person. She is not defined by her relationships. Uh, with men. uh, There aren't uh, other uh, aspects to her that are either trivialized or highlighted in a negative way. She is this fully developed person who happens to be a woman who is going through a very uh, trying time in her life. We see her triumph. We see her go through so much. It is at the very least, an empowering story, which puts women in a different perspective than most other film offerings do. And in that way, you could say that there had to have been some collaboration between the director and the actor to kind of portray this. There is this uh, idea that if you are in the directing chair, you have the GAZ, the gaze of showing what's there, of being able to give this perspective uh, that is unique and different from what other people were able to do, uh, a man might do in that same role. So there is something to that, that if Nomadland had been directed by possibly a man, that would have had a different type of look to it. It may have addressed that principal character in a different way, but you have these two women, uh, the actor and the director working in collaboration to create this very unique character, What well, at the very okay. least bring this unique character who was from another medium that was an adaptation to bring her to life on film.
0: Right. And one thing I will say, any actor that is well-respected usually gets the attention of the awards and the folks. People love Frances McDormand. What was the first film she won an Oscar for? I'm I'm trying to think back. It, It my God, it just slipped my mind just that fast. But certain actors, Meryl Streep, mm-hmm. um, uh, there's, and there's a right. few others. Uh, uh, George Clooney. There's certain actors and actresses. If you, if you, if whatever work that they do, whoever's directing, the the arts or, or the people that award in in the arts and acting and directing, they're gonna pay attention to the film and everything else because this person is a part of it.
1: Um, right. Yeah, so so, it's a, so it's you a, see that. that I see that so you I've see noticed that, that. that in in Nomadland. Contrast yeah, that with the only other woman who has won an Academy Award for uh, directing, Captain Bigelow, in terms yeah. of the Hurt Locker. That mm-hmm. film starred uh, two people now who are best known as being heroes in the Marvel franchise series. Right, you had Hawkeye, the guy that becomes Hawkeye later in Marvel as well as the new African-American, Captain America. They mm-hmm. start together in this film about these two soldiers who are um, working in an area around uh, bombs and uh, working through a war.
0: Oh, that was Jeremy Renner and Anthony Mackey.
1: Yes, right. Jeremy Renner, uh, who was Hawkeye, and then Anthony Mackie, who is now... Uh, now Captain America to be, to be at least. So you have these actors very early in their, uh, in their careers, or at least two audiences very early in their film careers. And, uh, Captain Bigelow at the helm takes them through this movie, which at the very least doesn't really have women in significant roles. In fact, being a military movie, it, it, it specifically kind of puts them on the back burner. They are in those kind of either stereotypical or, or classic uh, movie roles, you know, wife, girlfriend, uh, significant other. Uh, mm-hmm. But they're not the principal characters. And it's a war movie. And there's this woman directing it. And it is amazing. If someone has not seen The Hurt Locker, I would advise you to go to that movie. It's not an easy movie to watch, uh, but it is certainly (laughs) uh, significant. And you wonder, what does she bring to this other than expertise in her craft? Is there anything else? If that had been a male director, would this movie be different than it is? And especially if you know uh Catherine Bigelow and her her you know long history and of other.
0: directing yeah right. she's yeah she's been directing since the late 70s one that she's most known for is point break strange days and also zero dark 30 which came after the hurt locker so right. she's got a laundry list of of work as a director but i feel um with the hurt locker it was it was the story and she's directing i didn't feel a feminine uh uh, feel to it it felt very it felt very male versus no man land that had a very soft and you know very emotional you know this person was grieving, so it was a matter of, of, of tapping into that. Cinematography of, of Nomadland was very good. And so, mm-hmm. but it was now, just done differently.
1: Now, given that, there is this idea of what it means, though. She is challenging what it means in terms of the styles of movies that she does. Obviously, mm-hmm. Nomadland is this kind of cinematic emotional uh, thrust. Catherine Bigelow is directing thrillers. She's directing kind of crime movies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and early on in her career, I think we kind of see where she is coming from. Um, It it goes back a ways to 1990. She directs Jamie Lee Curtis in the lead, a movie called Blue Steel.
0: I remember that
1: one. In Blue Steel, of course, features Jamie Lee Curtis, who herself, you know, had was at a star status, but really hadn't like, you know, outside of Halloween, she hadn't been like the main character, right? You probably some of you know her from Halloween. Some of you who are much older probably know her from a supporting role, in, um in the in in, in Trading Places and, and some other work she's done with uh on tv Uh, i think scream queens right uh, jamie lee curtis so here she is in the early 90s she's playing a police officer this rookie who is going after a kind of psychopath killer and you have this woman as the principal character and this is catherine bigelow she co-wrote and directed that so you see more of what one might consider a female or feminine, G-A-Z-E, to the film with this woman in charge in this kind of crime thriller. Catherine Bigelow was t- given the opportunity to grow as an artist. She continues to do that where and to the point where the women don't necessarily have to be the lead in the story, but she is now, has her own signature on what thrillers look like that are directed by her. You get Mm -hmm. Point Break, which is certainly a memorable film for anyone who has ever seen it. The Keanu Reeves, uh, Patrick Swayze movie, uh, which is hyper masculine. Wasn't that that redone too? It was redone, uh, not to the same success or degree, uh, the original is much better than the remake. Um the original by Catherine Bigelow. Uh that one go. is a hyper male movie. It is a hyper like mm-hmm. beat your <laughs> chest kind of guy, Uga Uga <laughs> movie. And it's done that way, I think, because she is kind of playing up these ideas of what does it mean to be male, masculinity. What does it mean? to show this aspect. And in that way, it's sort of, it's sort of from a feminine point of view of how guys look and how they act toward each other. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it does a a great job of that. Uh, With Zero Dark Thirty, uh, you see now you go back to another movie in which there is clearly a female lead in that role that's Jessica Chastain who was also up for an Academy Award this mm-hmm. year for uh, for a film that was one of her personal projects. Um, so Captain Bigelow directs Zero Dark Thirty, which is all about a woman, a CIA operative who is going after Al Qaeda, um, you know, in terms of the background of, of 9-11, right? so mm-hmm. now you have her putting this woman in this lead role looking for uh and being the person to push it you probably don't get a thirty from Catherine bigelow without having a blue steel you know earlier okay. in her career so mm-hmm. you kind of see a progression there and you see that in a way where it doesn't necessarily have to be a woman as the main character but she can handle it when it is. Right. Because she has both of these uh, talents and um, and this is accessible, the accessibility to draw out that role and support that role when it is a woman in a thriller crime movie.
0: And a real man
1: just can't deny a woman's worth. Zhao with Nomadland she follows that up with the Eternals right with a big budget Marvel movie which kind of got a mixed reception but you wonder if that mixed reception is because once again in big movie franchises as you mentioned Val when you give someone that money and that budget uh you put a lot of expectations on them which you know fairly or unfairly uh can be evaluated in different ways i mean certainly the movie was a a financial success uh you know marvel has yet to have a flop over almost a 10 year run um it was as successful as other marvel movies well how many have been that successful since the pandemic i mean you kind of hit or miss here Mm -hmm. so so there there's that aspect to it so Um, I I think that there's something that we can kind of see here. Uh, This year, there is a woman who is among the five nominees for Best Actor, excuse me, Best Director, and that's uh, Jane Champion. And she is up for directing The Power of the Dog, which is up for Best Picture, as well as she's been nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay. Now she has won an Oscar previously for Best Original Screenplay for The Piano.
0: Oh, I remember it, The Piano. I remember. Yeah, that.
1: and in '94 she was up for Best Director. Then she was nominated for Best Director. Obviously, since we mentioned the only two people who have won the award previously, she did not win. But she is nominated again, and according to many people, she is the front runner. She is the person that will likely receive that award uh, on that night. And then there there were three. That's what (laughs) at least is expected. Um, The Power of the Dog, for those people that haven't seen that, is a movie that does have at least one kind of significant female character in it. But it, again, is another rumination on masculinity and toxic masculinity. And this is what the director says, that one of the reasons that she was drawn to this material is it sort of challenges, especially setting in the Old West, what it means to be male, what it means to have that as your identity. How do you express that? Um, You have characters who are, uh, clearly have some orientation questioning going on there and how is that expressed in what we typically think of as you know the big guys in the old west and the you know <laughs> drawing the guns. Uh, recently an uh, actor uh Sam Elliott came out uh very strongly he's done many westerns in his background very uh deliberately uh dissing the power of the dog because of the fact that there are questions about um about sexuality and sexual orientation in this movie that is a Western, um, wow. to which Benedict Cumberbatch said, dude, what are you doing? I, I don't really want to comment too much on what you're saying, but however, um, you know, this idea that people who uh, <laughs> weren't present at different points of history is sort of a challenge to history, isn't it? Um, so, so you have her with the piano, wonderful movie, kind of questioning norms there again power of the dog another movie that questions uh what we see as norms uh one thing i will mention and i think is coming up for the people that i know i'm looking at in terms of their accomplishments as as directors is there seems to be a gap catherine bigelow is seems to be the exception and maybe chloe zhao yeah, maybe we're moving into a new place for women directing. I hope.
0: I hope in fact so. Like the Chloe
1: Zhao had Nomad Land and followed it up immediately with a Marvel franchise movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, in terms of, of the woman who will likely win this year for Best Director, her previous nomination was in 1994. It's Ouch. 2022. That's a long time, long time. in between there. That's a long time. So obviously she is a voice and an artist that you know deserves recognition. Um, there's a big gap in there.
0: And her and her and Bigelow are around the same age, and um, Champions from New Zealand. Yes. So yeah. So but you know she's been making films for almost as long as as long as Catherine. But it's just. Huh. Thank, thank God, as a woman, as a woman director, just what are you faced in this industry and presenting? You know, what are your challenges when it comes to the budget? Um, how do you negotiate who is your actors? Do you make the negotiations with the well-known actors first before you go to the studio like that? Navigating all of that and for the women that you have mentioned, and the women that have directed and have gotten to the point where the distinction has been uh, Oscar gold, it's still so many more women who have directed and the acknowledgement has not happened, or they have been acknowledged in their own smaller circles. Because by the time you reach Oscar, you've you've been probably doing other stuff in other arenas, directing and, and the like. but. Um, I am happy to say that uh, we had Chloe owl for for last year, um, and I do re- I clearly remember Catherine Bigelow's win in 2008 for Hurt Locker. Uh, we'll see if it's Jane's year to win, and I'll be cheering for it. That I did not know. That's a literally an 18-year gap between the piano and the and the power of the dog. Now that's that's a long time thank you for pointing that out michael and we're gonna be cheering cheering on for um her because if she if she wins she makes history and two years in a row right two two years in a row women's history month of getting an oscar that'd be great
1: (laughs) it it definitely would be and and i think in this case, having seen a lot of, of the films, both you and I have seen a lot of films. I think in this case, it would certainly be deserved as well. Um, some of the things that people liked about Nomad Land, where it clearly set it out in the Southwest of the US, there are some sweeping scenes. And I know that cinematography, I, I do know some of the difference there. However, that director did set that up okay the cinematographer took full advantage and gave us montana and gave us the american west at least visually in that movie along with some amazing performances that she was able to uh to put uh, from her actors on onto the film onto the screen so so in terms of the people that uh, Val the voice. Who are, who are two that you think that people should know more about
0: oh easy Aver DuVernay and Debbie Allen someone I've personally met
1: so in, in that way we want to kind of talk about what it means to be in charge what it means to look at films and significant films that you should be able to go back to and check out the Women's History Month I mean, that movie in the 1990s, Blue Steel with uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, it may not be the biggest movie. It may not be the best uh, reviewed movie, but it certainly gave Catherine Bigelow the ability to kind of go forward and go forth in her career. Uh, By contrast, The Piano, a much uh, better and well-received movie. helped Holly Hunter to become a household name. Jane who was going to be Jane the winner I believe this year in the Academy Awards Um, so the first one that we'll hear from is who who, Val
0: I got a chance to meet a phenomenal actress dancer, choreographer singer, songwriter but what she's uh, best known for is her directing and producing Deborah K. Allen you know, in her married circles, she's known as, you know, Deb, Debbie Nixon. <laughs> Debbie Allen single-handedly transformed one of my favorite shows from my childhood called A Different World. And I can't really say childhood because I was of college age when A Different World came out. You remember A Different World, right, Michael? Yes, I do. And the first season of A Different World was... A little bit different than normal. It had its principal stars. However, Felicia Rashad, who was who is sisters to Deborah Allen, Deb Debbie Allen, brought her on our ad, and they asked her to come on to help. And things got totally revamped at, at with a different world. Um, one thing that I will say, and this was a comment that. Daryl Bell, who portrayed Ron, Uh, Diane Carroll, who portrayed uh, Whitley Gilbert's mom, this would be Jasmine Guy's mom, kind of stopped the cast and pointed out something to everyone. And Daryl Bell said he never would forget this. Do you realize that you are on a set with, you know, a person in charge of color who is a woman And then everyone behind the scenes from makeup to the grip to lighting and sound are all people of color. This was not the case when I did a sitcom, when I did a sitcom back in the 60s, early 70s. And she just kind of pointed it out to them like "This this is history making. And we have a Debbie Allen to thank for that because... Throughout the 90s, while she, at the time, we didn't know about the Amistad project she had been trying to bring to light, did a lot of sitcom directing as well as um, producing and just creating jobs. One of the jobs that she created for folks is screenwriting, writing, and also assistant directing and also just being that, you know, kind of that person that directs women or directs men on how to act, how to write, what to create. If you recognize a name Yvette Denise Lee and if you recognize a name Gina Prince, you're gonna kinda go, I kinda know those names. Yvette Denise Lee eventually direct, uh, eventually created Living Single. But she got her training ground under Debbie Allen with A Different World. And then a wonderful director, Gina Prince, who met her husband, Reggie Briithwood. They were both writing interns and production interns under A Different World. And Gina Prince Briithwood believed Love and Basketball was her first entry into feature film directing, but got her training under uh, Debbie's tutelage. And by the time Love and Basketball hit theaters in 2000 with Sinai Lathan and uh, Omar Epps as the lead actors, I believe Amistad finally came to screens after Debbie Allen had been championing to get this film finished for years. (sighs) How, why is it so hard? (laughs) for people that have a proven record of directing and bringing people together to get their projects or their things that they love to do, produced. I don't know why. And it's a little disturbing, but it's something to definitely recognize in what we have known as Women's History Month. Oh, gosh. I am so excited for Gina. Gina was giving a couple of opportunities to do um, episodic directing and when i say episodic directing there's a difference between directing film and then directing things for television it's things are a little bit shorter you go back to debbie allen for that opportunity because she kept directing uh, sitcoms things that are that people don't remember sitcoms people don't remember the sitcoms that that have been long (laughs) long remembered uh one thing that I will say, uh, you have to have a good working relationship with the studios and the producers and the people that make the executive decisions on who is coming on to a set versus who leaves, all of that stuff. It's just, it's the politics of show business. Cause keep in mind, the. And in, in those two words, show business, it's a business. Debbie learned that very early on. People don't remember Fame, that was back in the early 80s, but when she came into directing, when she came into running the running and show running, this was, people learned from her. And that's why when we think about now Grey's Anatomy, Chandra Grimes, who was, Chandra rhymes, who um, created that that platform. She asked Debbie, I, "I'm yeah, I'm grateful. I'm grateful you want to direct. We'd like you. We'd like for you to return to your roots and act." So I remember recently seeing her acting in episodes of Grey's Anatomy. I think she's been on on a reoccurring role over the last three to four years. It's been fun to see her do that. One of my favorites that have emerged in the last. I wanna say 10 years has been Ava DuVernay. I have been a long fan of her work because she takes her time when she tells her story. I will follow one of her first early um, films and it was a quietly done film, drama. And I remember thinking do you have the patience to just listen, to really tune in to what she's talking about? And and, and it was dealing with grief and, and death and just the transition of it all. And um, Sally Rich, Richardson Whitfield, cause she's married now. Uh, she was the lead actress in that. And I really just loved how she just inspired these wonderful performances from the actors in that film and inspired Sally Richardson-Whitfield to go on to episodic directing, which was something that uh, Ava was has been a champion of when she got her deal with OWN and was able to do Queen Sugar. Now I've jumped a little bit because I think I will follow was, I want to say 2010, 2011, 2012, and then yeah there we go 2012 and then queen sugar i want to say that has been another if you watch that series it reflects i will follow very similar however she made history by having all of the episodes directed by women directors it wasn't her she just gave that opportunity to either people that were emerging or established women directors and that's important. It's very hard in Hollywood to do or to get that particular job of directing episodic dramatic television, it really is. I would be remiss in not mentioning the film Selma. It was nominated for best picture and that year in 2014 I wanted her to be nominated for Best Director, but she did achieve a lot of firsts. Her film, Selma, was the first Black-directed film to be nominated for Best Picture. And in 2018, A Wrinkle in Time, which was budgeted at over $100 million, she became the first African-American woman to direct a $100 million picture from a studio. And she spoke about that experience working alongside of Ryan Coogler editing while he was editing the transformational Black Panther. But people like Debbie Allen, people like Gina Prince-Blythewood, and people like Ava DuVernay have kept the doors opening for new talent in acting, directing, and producing, and it's been a wonderful thing to watch and experience and I'm excited to see what all three of these women will continue to do. I know Debbie's dancing somewhere, uh, helping the next generation of of young women and young men get their dance on. When I met her in 2019 when uh, the National Urban League honored her, um, when she looked at me with the camera, she says, I would love to see a woman with a camera and I looked at her back and I said. (laughs) I know, and it's an honor to meet you, and we were able to get a picture together, and I was so happy. I hope you've enjoyed our series, Telling Her Story in Motion. For more on this episode, as well as our talk on Tuesdays, please go to our Interludes YouTube channel. Next time on Interludes. Information technology is where I have a passion and the experience and I uh, I really enjoy it. I
1: really enjoy what it could bring to help people because not everybody's technical. And because of that, they need somebody else who is.
0: IT owner and founder of Quality SAP and KeySpot app creator, Cynthia McAllister on the next Interludes. Have you seen it? It's the weekly chat with EP Michael Womble, Coach Tony, and Val the Voice Johnson. Interludes Extra presents Talk on Tuesdays. Join us and other special guests as we break down the latest topics surrounding music, movies, and sports every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Central, 9 p.m. Eastern, live in the chat on our Interludes YouTube channel. Interludes, original concept by Valerie Johnson, written by Michael Womble, produced by Michael Womble and Valerie Johnson, original intro and outro music produced by Kendall Nesbitt. Interludes, a pure lighthouse production. This episode is brought to you by YourGalShall.com, the one stop shop to teach our generation and the next generation of wealth one day and one dollar at a time. To purchase the children's book, Money is Good, Kelsey 100, or learn about the three-step journey to saving, please visit the website, yourgalshow.com. To subscribe to our YouTube channel or join our Interludes Facebook group, visit the website, linktr.ee forward slash Pure Light Media.